You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day, and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV, and crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, April 28th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, I'm going to bring you another dispatch from CinemaCon 2022. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and on today's episode of the show, I'm going to run through several of the biggest things that I saw at this year's CinemaCon. I already did one episode this week devoted to CinemaCon. I'm back again with more, and this time I have a lot of stuff to talk to you guys about, so I'm just going to get right into it. So, uh, Disney had a presentation yesterday, Universal had a presentation yesterday, and this morning Paramount had a presentation. Uh, I'm going to run through a lot of the highlights from that. So we saw several minutes, probably 10 minutes of uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. That looked very good. I am not going to go through a blow-by-blow of everything that I saw. I, I wrote out notes, and uh, the Slash Home team did an excellent job transferring all of that into an article. I'm going to link to all of the relevant stuff in the show notes. But suffice it to say that this looked uh, pretty interesting, uh, very much a Sam Raimi Doctor Strange movie. I was happy to see Raimi's influence in terms of like the spinning camera and some of the gross-out stuff that happened in there. There's one moment where Doctor Strange fights this giant, big, tentacled creature on the side of a building that reminded me a lot of the the Spider-Man movies. There's a a moment, of course, in Spider-Man 2 where Doc Ock is fighting Spider-Man on the side of a building, so the tentacle thing sort of stands true and jumps out there. And then there's uh, a moment where several characters are like looking on from a balcony that reminded me a little bit of the uh, the Green Goblin fight sequence in the very first uh, Spider-Man movie that um, that Raimi made. So anyway, uh, good stuff there. 
We also saw 30 minutes of Lightyear, uh, which I was not quite expecting to see that much of this movie, but uh, that's what Disney decided to do. And um, for the first several minutes of this, I was not fully on board because there are a lot of Toy Story references, like literal dialogue that Buzz Lightyear says in the movie Toy Story. And I was like, oh no, is this movie just gonna be nothing but nods to the Toy Story franchise all over again? And it's not that. Eventually, it sort of settles into its own groove. However, what it does seem to be, at least in the first 30 minutes of the movie, is a ton of nods to really like other famous sci-fi uh, franchises and properties and, and uh, movies. So there are vibes of The Martian and Apollo 13 and um, uh, Interstellar is a big one, which you probably know about from the most recent trailer with the, uh, the uh, time dilation concept. So, um, you know, when this movie actually has the courage of, of its convictions and, and is able to um, tell the story that it's trying to tell without necessarily uh, spending all of its time n nodding to these other uh, sci-fi staples of the, of the genre, then I think that's where it's at its best. Um, again, w as with movies like Soul and several of the other Pixar movies recently. The computer-generated animation just looks absolutely stunning. Um, the human characters, as you can tell from the trailers, look cartoonish and, and a little goofy, but the production design, the all of the design elements for the sets, the props, everything, it looks super tactile and um, really incredibly well-rendered and um, almost like these goofy car cartoon characters are walking through real environments at certain times. So um, really impressive visuals there. Uh, so that's it from uh, Lightyear. Now they also showed uh, a couple of flashes from David O. Russell's new movie Amsterdam, which is this crime drama starring Margot Robbie, John David, John David Washington, and Christian Bale. The three of them seem to be you know, some sort of a trio of people who are trying to pull one over on on other people. Chris Rock is in this as well. The the uh, cast looks really great. There's um the the footage was so fast that it was hard to get a full grasp on what exactly was going on there. But uh, it looked sort of like in the American Hustle vein, where the three leads are are sort of uh, they had this conspiratorial feeling to them as if they were like getting away with something. So um, it seemed intriguing, despite. Uh, David O. Russell's off-screen issues, which of which there are several that you can look up and, and research on your own. Um, they also show the opening scene of the Bob's Burgers movie. I've never seen Bob's Burgers, but this had me laughing a little bit, and uh, I think fans of the show obviously are going to want to check this out. Um, they, they started off with this big Broadway-style musical song. I'm not sure if the whole movie is a musical, but uh, that opening song was uh, really enjoyable. Okay, so one of the big things that everybody was curious about, Avatar 2. Yes, this movie exists. It's called Avatar The Way of Water. And James Cameron did a video introduction and debuted the first trailer. Uh, I will say that for, there was probably only a minute and a half of footage, and for the first several seconds of this, many seconds of this, I was so thrown off by the fact that it was shown in high frame rate that I had a, a real tough uh, time grasping the details of what I was actually seeing. So, uh, you know, we put 3D glasses on. Um, that was the only piece of footage presented in 3D throughout this entire presentation so far, throughout the entire CinemaCon so far. James Cameron obviously is still all in on 3D. 
but he has is doing this thing with high frame rate where if you saw, I think Peter Jackson did this for some of the Hobbit movies, um, Ang Lee did this for Gemini Man, some other you know mainstream filmmakers have, have sort of experimented with this, this uh, technology in the past several years, and um, I just think it looks like straight trash, to be honest with you. Like It, it reminds me of motion smoothing, just the terrible sort of soap opera, soap opera effect that uh, if you buy a, a brand new TV, a lot of times the settings are are set to that, and um, it just looks terrible. So um, the fact that this movie, one of the most anticipated movies, uh, you know, in history, probably considering how successful the first film was, was presented in this way, um, was really off-putting and and very, um, you know, uh, disappointing. So, you know, trying to set that aside, I actually wasn't really blown away by any particular thing that happened. There wasn't a, a huge set piece that was shown where um, they did something new or, or something like super interesting. It was just more of the return to Pandora. There was some underwater stuff that looked okay. But yeah, after all of this time, I was expecting, you know, there to be some sort of uh, visual uh, upping the ante. And if high frame rate is what that is, because um, the first Avatar was not shown in high frame rate, then uh, man, I'm, I'm very disappointed if that's the case. So I'm sorry to not have a glowing response to that. Um, I think a lot of people will be excited about the return to Pandora and maybe with more footage and without the high frame rate thing to distract um, Avatar 2 might be more interesting. But uh, yeah, as of right now, I think it's fair to say that the response was fairly muted in the room uh, at CinemaCon. So uh, moving on to Universal, who had, again, they, they had their, their presentation um, yesterday afternoon. Uh, they kicked things off with Jordan Peele's Nope. The footage looked incredible. I'm so excited for this movie. Um, Michael Wincott, who uh, I know as playing one of the bad guys in uh, Disney's Three Musketeers, the live-action movie from the, the early 90s, um, he was also in uh, The Crow and several other things. He plays a sort of grizzled figure who seems to be leading like a surveillance team that goes out to the ranch that uh, Kiki Palmer and Daniel Kaluuya's uh, brother and sister have out in the middle of nowhere. He installs all this security footage because they think they're seeing some sort of malevolent force uh, out in the sky. And um, they're, you know, there's like actually speculation from characters in the movie that it might be aliens, um, which is you know a, a theory that a lot of us have had uh, ever since that first teaser poster for Nope dropped. So yes, it looks really, really great. And um, I cannot wait to see this movie. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis took the stage for Halloween Kills. Uh, I'm sorry, Halloween Ends, the the final movie of this franchise, or or at least the the last ride of Laurie Strode, as, as uh, Jamie Lee Curtis said. Um, she said, sadly, all things must come to an end. Mom is tired. <laughs> this Halloween will experience Laurie's last stand. So uh, she said that it was going to fuck you up. Uh, that was a direct quote from her. And, um, man, the, the footage, I mean, there was not very much footage. Uh, there was a lot of, like, flashback footage to, to the original movie and some of the, the stuff that happened in the previous two films in this uh, David Gordon Green-directed franchise. But there is a moment that puts Laurie Strode back in a closet, uh, very similarly to what she was in the original uh, Halloween. But instead of uh, Michael Myers sort of bursting in on her, she ends up bursting out of it and attacks him in a kitchen, he like slams her head into a glass cabinet, uh, but she ends up grabbing a knife and standing, stabbing him through the hand. And um, Michael seems to be like laid out, like knocked back on a kitchen table. And there's this, it ends, the footage ended with Lori standing over him with this long knife that flashes in the dark. That looked, uh, yeah, really good. So um, I was not a fan of uh, Halloween Kills, 
but here's hoping that uh, they can sort of right the ship here. Um, there was some footage shown for a movie called Megan, where Allison Williams, who you might recognize from her work in Girls or Get Out, designs a uh, what turns out to be a killer robot. I don't really need to get into that one. Um, there's a movie called Beast, where Idris Elba plays a guy who has to fight a lion uh, in the African... Uh, I guess planes um, to protect his two daughters who are out there with him. Charlotte Copley uh, is out there with them as well. And uh, the final shot is Idris Elba punching a lion in the face. I think that tells you all you need to know about that movie. So that was kind of fun. Um, Joe Coy came out and introduced a uh, movie called the Easter Sunday. That is, I, I guess loosely, I don't know if, if it's not based directly on his life, it's, it's definitely like tapping into um, Filipino culture in a, in a key way. Um, it's a, about a big family that gathers around uh, in, in one house um, for Easter, which is a, uh, an important holiday in that culture. Really zany, sort of um, uh, family-friendly antics. Uh, yeah, the, there's not really much else to say there. Uh, the Last Voyage of the Demeter is another movie that they showcased, which is the, the film that um, is based on the little segment in Bram Stoker's Dracula about a ship ride that um, that Dracula himself takes to, I believe it's to, from Transylvania to London. And uh, yeah, it looks like, you know, eerie footage. There's a, a hairless vampire jumping from high up on the, on the ship uh, down to the deck and attacking people. And um, the guy who played Davos Seaworth in The Onion Knight in Game of Thrones um, delivers grave lines like, we all know where he plans to deliver us to hell, <laughs> things like that. So, uh, yeah, it, it looks um, dark and evocative and uh, heightened action, really stylized. So um, fun stuff there. Uh, Minions, The Rise of Gru, I'm really not going to talk about, but they showed some stuff from that. Um, let's see. Bros, the uh, Billy Eichner uh, romantic comedy that stars. Uh, it's the first gay rom-com made by a major studio and stars uh, on an all LGBTQ cast, even playing the, the straight roles, even people playing the straight roles. And uh, Eichner came out on stage and was talking about how important it was. Um, he made a joke about how it was great that uh, he said, I think it's important that before we got one movie about a gay couple, we got two movies about a talking hedgehog. So um, definitely poking fun at uh, the state of Hollywood and the fact that, um, you know, m movies like this, uh, like bros are incredibly difficult or historically have been incredibly difficult to get made. Uh, and that kind of seems like what this movie is actually about too. He plays a podcaster who um, is tasked with or asked to write a Hollywood movie um, about gay people. And uh, so there's like a, a meta uh, commentary um, to this as well. Um, and uh, he, it, it basically like a lot of, uh, it reminded me of, um, uh, Amy Schumer's Trainwreck, where there's, you know, it's sort of like a Judd Apatow. I think Apatow is actually involved in this as a producer. Um, it's sort of like that Apatow level of humor where, like, um, for an example, there's one scene where uh, Billy Eichner is uh, is talking to, like, a, a Tinder date or something, texting back and forth, and the the um, Tinder date demands Billy Eichner take a picture of his ass and send it to him. Uh, and Eichner is sort of reluctant, but eventually 
takes and sends this ass pick to the guy, and then as soon as the guy receives it, he blocks Billy Eichner on the app. So, um, you know, there there's actually a shot of like two guys going down on a dude who appears to be Eichner's date um, in a like a club or something like that, and Eichner sort of leans over to the guy and is, is like, you know what, I'm just gonna go. So there's a, uh, you know, th- this movie is not um, shy about. Uh, frank sexuality and, and actually showcasing things it's not um, going to pull any punches i think in that department so um it's definitely going to be uh, a movie that that gets a lot of people talking i think in a good way um ticket to paradise is a george clooney julia roberts rom-com that brings these two back together for the first time in a long time um it's basically like you know very light-hearted it kind of looks like a good version of like the adam sandler kevin james movies where they go to a gorgeous locale um and because the the premise of this movie is that uh, george and julia were uh, married for a few years like two decades before and their daughter is now living on an island with uh and is about to get married to a guy i think that she has not known for a long time and she invites her parents to uh, come out and they decide to sort of put on a, a united front um, to try to like overly support their daughter in the in the uh, attempt to like um, reverse psychology her into thinking that it's a bad idea to get together with this guy because the parents don't want the daughter to get together with this dude. It all ends up being a big excuse for George Clooney and, and Julia Roberts to like hang out and uh, you know on the beach and um, basically like slowly get back together again. So uh, yeah, it looks um, fun and, and pretty lighthearted. Um, she said is another movie that Universal uh, presented, which does not look fun at all, really, but looks a lot like um you know something like spotlight or all the president's men it's a movie where carrie mulligan and zoe kazan play the new york times reporters who broke the story about harvey weinstein and the abuse that he was inflicting on people uh, for years and years and years and uh so yeah it's it's pretty dark um there's a lot of focus on the survivors though um so i think this movie is going to be uh, somewhat cathartic for people um it is definitely giving a lot of voice to the survivors which i think is the right move for a movie like this and it certainly seems to strike the right tone so uh that is going to be really interesting and potentially like in the awards uh consideration because you know all the president's men is a, a very like oscar friendly movie spotlight ended up winning best picture surprisingly several years ago so um given the uh the hollywood aspect of this whole thing um i, I would not be surprised to see it like you know uh i guess appear on people's radar in that capacity. Focus Features was also part of this um, presentation, and uh, they showcased some footage from a movie called Violent Night, um, which basically has uh, David Harbour playing Santa Claus, and uh, he swings a giant hammer, he attacks people. So the, the premise of the movie is a family is hanging out in their living room on Christmas Eve, um, everybody's gathered around, everyone seems to be having a great time, and then a band of thieves led by John Leguizamo bursts into the family home. There's a moment where John Leguizamo guns down their Christmas tree. This movie is very heightened, very ridiculous, very self-aware, uh, and, like, they, they, this hostage group, this, uh, terrorist group or whatever takes the family hostage and sort of locks down the home, and then, of course, Santa arrives and, uh, has to save the family, so he, uh, brings an elf along who's doing martial arts i think the the um uh stunt team behind the john wick movies are involved in this so uh there's a moment where um david harbour's character puts uh pool um 
billiards balls in a stocking and just beats the shit out of a guy. Um, there's a moment where he grabs the uh, the Christmas star off of the, the top of the Christmas tree and like hurls it into a guy's eye and then turns the power on and electrocutes the dude. I mean, it just looks like super violent, almost like a, a slightly cleaner version of a Grindhouse movie. Um, a, a Christmas horror classic in the making, I think. So a lot of people are going to be um, very excited about that. I, I described it as uh, a little like Krampus meets John Wick. So um, definitely put a Violent Night on your radar if that sounds interesting to you. Uh, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish was also showcased. And then uh, Jurassic World Dominion, um, they came out and uh, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard and Jeff Goldblum introduced footage from that um the footage i think is actually the same trailer that debuted this morning so i don't need to go into a blow by blow of that we actually have um an article about the trailer on slashfilm.com as well as a, a full trailer breakdown that ryan scott did um and ryan is a huge jurassic park fan and i know the article turned out really really well so um definitely i encourage you to to check out his trailer breakdown for uh all of the info that you need about that so then um this morning paramount kicked things off they showed a lot of really brief clips of several of their upcoming movies because most of their presentation was dominated by a screening of the full movie of Top Gun Maverick. Um, but they showed some stuff from the new Dungeons and Dragons movie where Michelle Rodriguez is riding a horse and wearing armor and Chris Pine is riding along with her. Um, uh, let's see, there was a lot of footage from Paws of Fury, which I'm not going to bother talking about in here. Um, there's a shot from the new Transformers movie, I think it's called Rise of the Beasts, that has Anthony Ramos driving around on a bridge in Los Angeles, kind of look like the, the Third Street Bridge or something, uh, weaving in and out of cars, almost look like a Fast and Furious film. And then um, there was some footage from Babylon, which is Damien Chazelle's new movie that comes out around, this, uh, around Christmas time, that has Brad Pitt... Uh, seemingly playing a, a movie producer um, and Margot Robbie playing a movie star. And it had like a very sort of Gatsby vibe. The the camera work was super dynamic. Um, there was all sorts of like great classic glamorous looking, um, you know, parties and, and production designs. And um, yeah, all, all of that looked really good and really fun. You can check out the, the article for more details there. Um and yeah, I think that was pretty much it from like the sort of whirlwind uh, sizzle reel that they showcased. Um, oh, no, there was one more thing. Okay, so so Tom Cruise, he appeared on video uh, flying on a like a uh, almost like a crop duster type of plane where he was standing above the seat. There was a pilot flying the plane. He was standing above the, I guess, the passenger seat, like the, the slot right behind a pilot. He was standing there. And facing the camera, which was on another plane that was videotaping them or, or whatever, uh, shooting footage uh, of them. And Cruz was talking, like addressing the CinemaCon audience um, with a, a microphone that you could barely understand what he was saying because the wind was so loud. But he was actually talking to the people. And then Chris McQuarrie appeared in another plane that flew up right next to the plane that Cruz was standing on. And uh, they had this back and forth and they were addressing the theater owners and talking about, okay, yeah, we're going to show you guys the first trailer for Mission Impossible. And then we're also going to show you Talk on Maverick. You know, thanks for being great partners, blah, 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 blah. And then the, the both of the planes do like a huge bank to the to the left and drop down and Cruz is just like hanging out on this plane smiling like a madman and he's like completely uh, parallel to the ground by the time this plane makes its turn so he's clearly like strapped into this airplane but like my god this man is just so insane so um, anyway the uh, new 
Mission Impossible movie. It's called Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, which is a great title. Um, there were a ton of really cool action sequences here. Um, the guy who plays Kittredge, uh, the, the character of Kittredge, is back, and he is uh, having another face-off with, uh, with Ethan Hunt. There's a shot of Simon Pegg running through the streets, and... Um, Oh my God! Just like the uh, the action looks terrific. Uh, there's it, the big ending moment is uh, Cruz is riding this motorcycle. Actually, there's a train that goes off the rails and and uh, like out into a canyon. And then Cruz himself seems to mimic that same type of thing with the big like sort of climactic shot that appears at the end of the trailer where Cruz is on a motorcycle and he launches himself off of a ramp out into the open space and like kicks off the motorcycle. And he's just falling out in into the middle of freaking nowhere, like thousands and thousands of feet. Um, and you don't actually see him like pull a parachute or anything uh, because the, the trailer cuts away from there. But I think it's it's very like James Bond in that way. And um, I suspect he's going to I hope he's going to pull a parachute uh, in the actual um, footage. So, yeah, it looked incredible. I just want to see that movie immediately. Um, OK, so then really quick, I guess the only other thing I can talk about is uh, is Top Gun Maverick, which um I can't say too much about because um, basically they're just allowing like social media responses, but I can just say that I really, really like this movie a lot. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I've been, uh, you know, cautiously optimistic about a Top Gun sequel. Um, it didn't strike me as something that we needed. I know it's been talked about forever, um, but I think that if they're going to make a Top Gun sequel, this is the one that people are going to love because it's structurally very, very similar to the first movie. It's like a lot of uh, training sequences, dogfight sequences, um, and uh, and then it all builds up to like a, a big mission that must be completed at the end of the movie. Um, it reminded me a little bit of a heist film because of the way that... Uh, that everything is just so cleanly laid out and there's like uh, CG sort of um, holographic almost technology of like, here's where we have to go. Here's what we have to do. So it's one of the best things about the, the heist film structure, right? Is like characters gathering together and being like, here's the plan. And then um, the audience gets to see them execute that plan and uh, figure out how to uh, maneuver their way out of the situations when things inevitably go wrong. And that's exactly what happens in this movie. So um, super satisfying uh, basically everything you could want in a Top Gun sequel. Um, I have a few quibbles with it, but uh, for the most part, really, really enjoyable stuff. So Top Gun Maverick. I mean, one of my big uh, takeaways is that like this movie's going to make a ton of money, I think. Um, there's been a lot of uh, hemming and hawing about like whether or not the audience is going to be there for this movie. And I think because of how crowd-pleasing it is, um, I think it's going to do great word of mouth. And I think it's going to have uh, a really, really huge moment uh, at the box office this summer. So today is the last day of CinemaCon. Lionsgate has a presentation this afternoon that I actually have to wrap this show up in order to make it to on time. And then, yeah, that'll do it. So I uh, will probably talk a little bit about what I saw at the Lionsgate presentation on the podcast next week, unless something truly insane happens there, in which case I might come back and do like a quick uh, emergency podcast episode or something like that. But um, for the most part, I think you can expect me to talk more about that next week. Thank you guys so much for listening to this uh, episode and, and the one earlier this week. Thank you for putting up with me and, and doing this, um, you know, me doing this sort of like one man show recap of everything that I saw at CinemaCon. And um, hopefully it allowed you guys to sort of calibrate your expectations of, uh, of what to, to see and what is coming out 
um, this year and uh, hopefully it was helpful in some way and, and gave you a sense of what it was like being in the room and seeing all this stuff sort of as it was happening. So um, thank you again for listening and uh, you can listen to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. Um, you can find more about all the things that I talked about on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. Once again, I want to give a quick shout out to every one of the writers and editors at SlashFilm.com who's been helping me out with this uh, CinemaCon coverage. They've been doing a tremendous job turning all the stuff that I've been giving them into readable articles and i really appreciate the uh, collaboration and the, the help that they've been giving me here so um, feel free to send your feedback questions comments concerns and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air don't forget to rate and review the show on apple podcasts tell your friends spread the word thanks for listening and we will talk to you tomorrow for the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase it's a culture and the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe for the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Get everything for your next project today at Menards and save big money. Keep your walls and trim protected while you paint with Scotch Blue Painter's Tape. It's designed for use on multiple surfaces and can be removed easily without leaving residue behind. Say big on Scotch Blue Painter's Tape from Menards. Also, view our weekly flyer on Menards.com and check out all of our great deals happening this week. Save big.